comes ahead on goal, and Jordan Morris has done it. Appealing in vain for offside, the Chicago Fire defenders. Jordan Morris from the doorstep saves the day for the Sounders. the other way. Look who's running hard after defensively. Wayne Rooney, the net is empty. Big collision by the captain. That is unbelievable effort. Rooney putting one up. Bacosta. The Stateside Soccer Show with Logan and Jordan. Hello and welcome back to the Stateside Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wiegand and with me as always is... Uh, oh, I can reuse this opening because the other one didn't go through. The, the Bucky Barnes to my Steve Rogers, Logan Stump. Uh, hello. It feels good to be able to record something. It actually records. Thank you, Zoom, for being so quality. Um, if you want to sponsor our show, we'd be glad to take any kind of monetary gains. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, so those that don't know, we uh, we recorded what? What was that? Sun? It was a preview. Saturday. <laughs> Saturday. It was yeah. a preview for the Honduras match that uh, we made some predictions. Uh, nobody's able to hear them. We recapped the Jamaica match for the national team that nobody got to hear. Uh, it was a great episode too, but we recorded it. Skype never sent us the file. So I'm not really sure what happened with that. I was like looking at the message boards and it was like, do you want to contact somebody about it? I'm like, no, because I don't feel like it's saved. I just don't like, I was looking Even at if it was ways. saved. Yeah. It's irrelevant right. on Sunday. Right. Like once it wasn't able to be posted on Saturday night, I'm like, yeah. it's worthless. Especially because the U.S. men's national team was one thing we were talking about and it went at noon. So it was almost, it would have been impossible. But yeah. it was a great episode that for those that weren't there um, and, and it was just Jordan and I really. So everybody wasn't there. It was quality as always. It was. Um, we had special guest on Tim Howard, um, which is just a bummer. Uh, yeah, he that... dropped by along with Landon Donovan <laughs> and Clint Dempsey. They. <laughs> They called in. They were like, we're loving what you guys are doing. It was uh, simply beautiful. Um, Captain America himself showed up. Uh, Steve Pele Rogers, came on right? for whatever reason. It was great. <laughs> yeah, but man, it sucks. Um, but I, I, I'm glad that we have an episode coming out. Um, but we're kind of filling a void here because we'll record our reactions after we're doing this Columbus preview, which it's kind of like going back in time here. Yeah, so you would have already heard that episode because Columbus comes out on yeah. Wednesday. <laughs> We're releasing the uh, <laughs> the what the uh, the the eulogy of the U twenty threes on right. Tuesday. So if you missed that one, it, it's back in the uh, should be back in the feed. Just one before this, but yeah, we're doing Columbus Crew, the MLS Cup winners of twenty twenty. Uh, who do we got for that, Logan? Yeah, so we're welcoming on Ori Benatar, and Ori covers the team, Columbus Crew, uh, for a massive report. For It's the SB Nation version of um, 
for Columbus Crew. And uh, I was reading a couple of his articles and I, I really enjoyed it. I got some of the stuff that we'll, we'll talk about, um, just kind of things that he mentioned that I was interested in, in talking to him about. And so, yeah, it, it'll be, I think it'll be a great episode because I think it, we always seem to knock it out of the park with a lot of these SB Nation writers. There's a lot of content that they cover. And I know that he just talked to Caleb Parker today. So that'll be something we can ask him about. And if Porter, came out yeah. Porter, yep, yeah, not Parker. Um, thank you for that. <laughs> Um, Caleb Porter, not Parker. Um, uh, I got all the Marvel stuff going on in my head right now. Um, so I guess. Oh, you're thinking uh, Peter, Peter Parker. Parker. Yeah. So, <laughs> and like, you know, journalist and uh, photojournalist. I'm just really confused. But no, Columbus Crew, Ori Benatar coming on the show to talk uh, MLS Cup champions. All right. Let's bring them on. The Stateside Soccer Show. Talking the beautiful game in the land of the free. Breaking down Major League Soccer, U.S. Men's National Team, and more with Logan and Jordan. All right, and we're now welcoming in Ori Benatar from Massive Report. How are you today, Ori? Doing good, Jordan. Doing good. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. <laughs> uh, so our first question is always, you know, like where can people find your work and how long you've been covering uh, the crew? Yeah, so this will be my uh, my second season covering the Columbus crew for uh, for the Massive Report, which is a Columbus crew blog through SB Nation. So MassiveReport.com to see all of our stories. And uh, we also do social media on Twitter, Instagram, same handles as well. So last season, jumped on ship, did some reporting, podcasting, also do graphic design for our Instagram account, and definitely a shock to, to see for that first season of myself covering uh, a title. So I went to 10 games uh, as a reporter for that season, and they won every single one. So it was wow. quite an experience for sure. So um, all the stuff about the crew that I update on, I update press conferences, games, you know, international news, anything really, uh, obenatar 512 on Twitter is my handle. And then of course, uh, add massive report too. We're in the midst of uh, doing a big countdown. We're counting down the 15 most memorable moments in the history of crew stadium, since this will be the last few games in the first soccer specific stadium ever in this country. So I would encourage y'all to check that out and the rest of our crew coverage as well. I was going to say, so how much is the club uh, really banking on you being at matches uh, this this year since you are undefeated in your coverage of the team? Uh, I don't <laughs> think they know. I don't think they know about that statistic. And the thing that's crazy is that, you know, I, I started in February of last year, probably about three weeks before COVID took off. You know, I went to media day. I, I met Caleb Porter. I met a couple of the players and met some of the people I was going to work with and some other members of the media. But since then, you know, players, of talking to Caleb Porter and all these other people around the club in 14 months. So hopefully this year that will that will change a little bit, especially when you get into the new stadium. But uh, yeah, I'll probably be out for as many games as possible essentially throughout the course of this 2021 season. That's brutal then. So Cruz is going to walk away with the supporter shield and MLS Cup no problem if you keep going to games. If I, if I keep going <laughs> to games, that's no problem. I mean, the one home game that they lost last year was against the Impact now known as club to foot, of course, and yeah. they lost that game two to one. So, and I, I didn't go to that game. So, Hey, si signs are signs, but <laughs> I'm not a superstitious person. So we'll, we'll see what happens this year. So uh, we also usually like to ask uh, for a reflection of the 2020 season. And really you can't get 
like you're the only club we can kind of talk about you know covering the crew that can't have a better season than they really had in the sense uh, except for maybe like getting a double or a triple right uh treble yeah. but uh, but they won MLS Cup, and uh, how much did that uh, winning, uh, how much did that title mean for the club in the city uh, of Columbus? Um, a hell of a whole lot. I mean, you think about 2020 as just this incredibly historic season for the Columbus Crew because, you know, not just within MLS, but you just think about the whole picture of it. How many teams can say that they won a championship while dealing with COVID 19? Cause that's really when stuff started getting crazy. The protocols were starting to, you know, add themselves into the mix throughout MLS. And this was the most challenging season in league history and for the rest of the sports leagues around the world and the Columbus crew pushed through all that adversity. You know, you saw them hold down the fortress in their last full season at historic crew stadium. Of course, there's only going to be four more MLS home games there before the new stadium opens up in July you know, they held down that fortress and throughout the season, they had dealt with a lot of adversity with COVID. They had in fact, they had an infection at the MLS's back tournament, won all their group games. They had a delayed game against Orlando after two staff members tested positive. And obviously the biggest one was during the playoffs when after the win over the Red Bulls in the first round, seven players tested positive for COVID and they were all out for the Nashville win at home and the new England win at home. And then, you saw Darlington Nagby and Pedro Santos unable to play for that final. And you see 19-year-old Aiden Morris as a starter, youngest starter in MLS Cup final history, put Nicholas Ladero in his pocket, essentially. And they come away with the title at Crew Stadium in front of their home supporters in the midst of a pandemic. You know, truly, truly special moment. And very special to see also, you know, with what happened two, three years ago with the team potentially almost moving. So 2020... I would think it's probably the most historic season in the club's history. I've, other people would argue 99 or 2008 new stadium opens in 99, 2008, their first title, but 2020 was so special for a multitude of different reasons. Thank goodness. It wasn't another LA team winning it. Like the rest of the sports. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was LA and Tampa. Yep, you you, you had Tampa. The, the Dodgers and the Lakers and you had the Bucks and the lightning. So yep. right now for the major five uh, men's professional sports leagues in North America, Columbus is the only city that's not Tampa or LA that has a title right now. <laughs> yeah. So you kind of spoke to a little bit about, can you, can you kind of just reflect too on the time that, you know, with pre-court um, just, you know, what that was like going through that and that movement that kind of starts up from the ground and, and saves that team from, and then, you know, he's moving on to Austin. Can you just kind of reflect on what that was like watching? So the reflection from my standpoint is more so as a fan, since at that time when pre-court made that, you know, announcement about potentially moving the team to Austin and save the crew started coming up. I was at college at that point. I was at the university of Illinois, go Illini. I know we lost to Loyola. Everybody shut up. Um, <laughs> but, um, but uh, yeah, so, but my boss, you know, Pat Murphy, who is the, one of the editors at massive report and other people have, you know, talked to me about that time around Columbus since I wasn't in Columbus during that time period. But my reflection as a fan was essentially, you know, how could they do this? How could they take the team away? And then as the pieces were moving and the community came together, I mean, it was a massive effort from the crew faithful and the Columbus community to keep this team here, show the evidence why this team is needed in the community, what benefits it brings, how they can have a new stadium. And then you see Dr. Pete Edwards and the Haslam family come in to invest in the team and become the owners 
and save the club, uh, save the club essentially. And I remember when the announcement came, I was very, very happy. You know, this is a team that I've grown up watching literally my whole life. I was born, you know, a month after the crew's first game. So I have not known a world without the Columbus crew. And when the team was saved, that was truly a special moment. And it was even more special two years later when they won a championship. Yeah. So I also got to ask about, you know, from your fan perspective then of, of the new crest and such uh, and missing the construction workers, the men at work uh, from the logo now, uh, is there, a, you know, wasn't there also an announcement that they were looking at rebranding again recently? Not that I know of recently. I think the only, the only thing that I can think of referencing wise in terms of rebranding was just kit wise. And, you know, obviously okay. the new, no, no gold kit this year, obviously is something that uh, the yeah. crew supporters have mixed feelings about whether it's, you know, extremely to the positive of it or extremely to the negative of it, obviously now with a black kit and now that uh, gray and white watermark kit as the jerseys for this season. But in terms of a new logo and all that, I would suspect that this logo is going to stay for a very long time. I really like the new crest. But uh, if, if y'all want to see something funny, just scroll down the Massive Report Instagram page. There was a great picture taken uh, by one of our photographers at the site, uh, Sam. Nice picture of uh, of Tim Bezbachenko, who's the president and general manager of the crew, manager Caleb Porter, and then Steve Lyons, uh, who's one of the people that works at the club. And they're all standing next to each other in the middle of New Crew Stadium with construction hats on. And it was very reminiscent of the old crew logo. So we, we Photoshopped <laughs> that in to make a, a fun crew logo there. So, I mean, the three construction workers, of course, that's a big thing that I remember growing up on all the merchandise. And when I went to that stadium as a child, but I, I like the new logo a lot. I think it's really nice, really chic too. So you talked about the the stadium some. Can you just kind of fill in fans? I mean, I know you said it was the, the first soccer specific Um you know, what, what about it has people excited? Um, what are some of the things that they're adding in that, that people that support the crew are just excited to go see a game there? Yeah. I mean, the new stadium is going to have a lot of very, very nice, you know, amenities and just the look of it as well. You, you look at us from a blimp or a helicopter. Now when that stadium is done, even now, you know, it looks like a European soccer stadium. It's got like that rectangular uh, black, roof in some ways the, the supporters are and the nordeca section is going to be right on top of the field so the way that they constructed the seating and all that is very very nice they're going to have a lot of different food available through columbus uh local columbus food vendors and you've also got a beer garden that's coming for the stadium which a lot of people are excited about as well <laughs> Yeah, big TIFO rig too. They're going to be able to put TIFOs mm -hmm. in the stadium. So it'll definitely be a, a somber night on June 19th, the final MLS home match at Historic Crew Stadium when the crew play the fire. But everybody is very excited to, you know, have a stadium smack in the middle of downtown right next to Huntington Park, the home of the Columbus Clippers. And then you've got Nationwide Arena for the Blue Jackets just there. So uh, a real reflection that stadium of where Columbus is as a city continuing to grow and just in general having three beautiful sporting facilities in downtown akin to seeing something like what Cleveland has and what Cincinnati has as well. I was going to say looking at it and I don't know Jordan and I are Star Wars fans but it looks like they dropped the big black empire ship right in the middle of the, the <laughs> downtown it just looks evil it kind of has that looming like oh man we got to go in there and play a, a soccer match and it is it's beautiful i mean just gorgeous to, and i think yeah honestly, they went 
They went with that black roof look, whereas <laughs> West End Stadium and Cincy, they got right. all the lights and everything yep. and all. But I mean, hey, that stadium is beautiful too, yep. for sure. Ohio's say, got some nice new soccer stadiums. Yeah, Ohio's got two of the best uh, easily. So I think that that's pretty awesome. So uh, also with part of the reflection of last year, just kind of going back to the squad itself, uh, the, the, the crew front office really took me by surprise with some of the pieces they added because I was not picturing them getting as stronger than they already were right yeah. uh bringing in uh Zar, uh bringing in a uh, bwp and bringing in um uh kevin molino even you know just and, and you know last year even was when they brought in nagby it just seems like uh i can't like as a fan of another team, I'm, I'm frustrated that the crew were able to get these two players. Right. And it seemed like nobody else was really trying to get them. And it's, uh, you know, here they are. I feel like they have to be, uh, you know, favorites for the East, but what, um, did this take any fans or, uh, any reporters by surprise of them adding two key pieces, uh, like that for added depth and making this team stronger after a um... MLS cut win? I wouldn't say it was a huge surprise. I think in general, there's definitely after Molino was signed, at least personally, the sense was, wow, you know, after winning a championship and even if they didn't win a championship, you know, the club is going in a direction of going forward, you know, with with Tim Bezbachenko, with Caleb Porter, they're pushing towards that direction of becoming a consistent contender in MLS. They want to be in the position of someone like Toronto or Seattle you know, even Atlanta, you know, as they've entered the league and have been a perennial contender apart from last season, because Joseph Martinez was out, but that's the direction they want to push towards. And at the same time, the players were attracted to come to Columbus. I, I just spoke to Kevin Molino recently and the media did as well. And he basically said it was an easy decision to pick Columbus and he wanted to come here. He saw the way that they played, saw the success that they can have. And, you know, and there's other pieces that they've added as well from a depth, uh, perspective and they they needed extra depth it was really important to them and they have added that plus the way that this schedule is going to work with the the international calendar it can really mess things up for teams for example in the goalkeeping department Aloy room is the starter for curacao they're going to be playing in the gold cup over the summer he might be gone for an extended period of time in you know july and you need somebody to fill that role they get evan bush who you know veteran of the league played for montreal for so many years an ohio veteran who told us that he wanted to come back to Ohio. You know, he thought of the happiness of himself and his family. And even though he's not the number one choice keeper, he loves the state. He was, you know, he's from here. He went to college at Akron and he's excited and he'll get that role. They also got Eric Dick, who was a supplemental draft pick. This re-entry draft pick this year was a super draft pick back in 2016. So he could potentially fill in if Bush and uh, Room are out. But then also Marlon Harrison for the defense. But to me, I think the most surprising signing was Alexandru uh, Matan from Romania. $1.8 million supposedly for him. And, you know, he just scored a goal and an assist in the under 21 euros for Romania. And they've been scouting him for six months. And surprising because we also knew that the crew was going for more domestic signings because of COVID. It's harder to scout internationally, but they go out and get a a 21-year-old in Matan who is very talented you know, great speed, agile on the ball. And we've seen guys with that stature work in MLS, like Maxi Morales, Joseph Martinez, Nicholas Ladero, uh, Alexander, Alejandro Pozuelo. So Columbus made some really, really big moves and they kept that core strong, but they, they need to get, they needed to get younger in the depth as well, because they know that they're, some of their key starters are entering into their mid thirties. And they also have to think about the future of the team too. 
was gonna say you, you talk to that depth um and on paper they look i mean you're just staring down a barrel of a gun at this point um can you kind of talk about who you expect to be in those starting spots and and who's going to see some critical minutes in the attack uh, as far as options are concerned yeah i mean in the attacking four because caleb porter traditionally will play a four two three one you know he's got those uh you know, the classic four back line has the fullbacks push forward a lot has uh, more of a holding central midfielder that comes back on defense, which is usually our tour. And then you have Darlington Nagby as that second central midfielder that t- tends to push forward and just pass around to change the point of attack. But I would expect the starting attack to be Lucas Zellerayon in the middle at the central attacking midfield position. And then you have Molino and Santos uh, either side of him, And then Jossie Zardes starting up top, but the thing that Caleb Porter has mentioned and I, and I see where he's coming from is the amount that he's going to have to mix and match the lineups, whether it's due to schedule um, the schedule being just congested international stuff coming up injuries popping up. So I, I think similar to last year where we didn't really see the crew's best 11 out on the field for a lot of games this season. I mean, let's face it. Every MLS team had that problem with COVID. I think the same is going to be with this year. And I think that's why you see somebody like Bradley Wright Phillips come into the fray. They still have Luis Diaz and Derek Etienne to step in for the wings. Matan can step in as a central attacking mid for Zellerayan. He can step in on the wings. They're, they're prepared in case of injuries in case of congested schedule. And they have that quality beneath. So that those would be the four that I would assume would be the first choice 11, but expect a lot of mixing and matching, especially in the attack this season with the lineups. Um, Logan, which one are we on? Cause that answered like three of them. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Um, no, that was really good. Uh, I, I will say that the one thing, if you really need some players and uh, that aren't going to be busy, you could look at the U S men's team. Um, you can just kind of pick whichever ones you want, but shots fired. Oh boy. <laughs> no, but um, Ori, as far as uh, BWP, um, you see him getting a fair share of Zardes minutes. Like, is he going to rotate in with him? Can he, you know, you see him maybe possibly in the wing some? I doubt in the wing. I mean, he's a true number nine and right. he, he played really well for LAFC. I mean, he won the comeback player of the year mm-hmm. and he was able to put some goals together. He's still got a lot of goals in him. He's one of the 25 greatest players in league history, and he's going to be an important addition for Columbus. And in those moments where, they need somebody to come in for Zardes because they didn't have that uh, last season. You know, last season they thought they had someone like that in Fernando Adia, sort of the backup number nine. He really didn't pan out to be an effective striker for the crew in the couple opportunities they had. And then they signed Christian Namath over the summer as that replacement had a big goal against Philadelphia in the beginning of November to push towards a, a, a potential supporter shield, which they would eventually lose to Philly. But Bradley Wright Phillips is a reliable striker to, to have in that position. And, you can see him play in many different uh, competitions. I think Champions League could be one that you see him play in a lot. Um, but in those weeks where you're going to have maybe two MLS games, if the crew qualify for the U.S. Open Cup and you've got U.S. Open Cup and two MLS games and you're playing maybe five within a 14-day span, Bradley Wright Phillips is a great player to have in that position to uh, to keep, get the load off of Zarda. Zarda's being the top scorer of the team. But I would expect – other like Molino, Zellerayon to score more this season, Santos, Matan, Etienne Diaz potentially too. So, but it's not all on Zardes in the number nine role with BWP. 
God, it's a scary list, Jordan. We've done so many of these, and it's just like one after the next. And these other teams are going, we can't find anybody to score. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Since he needed to sign Brenner for, what, $18 million right. to try yeah. and get someone to score? Hey, he's a good player. We'll see yeah. how he does. But if he yeah. doesn't pan out, since he's in trouble. Yeah, market's slim. So that's that's what I was like, oh, man, they, they just got the corner marked on all the goal scores. Well, that's what I really liked about the crew and even LAFC when they signed, uh, you know, Bradley Wright Phillips and, and, you know, Red Bulls letting him go for whatever reason that, um, you know, you always have to have those experienced MLS players as well, you know, uh, that can come in and score goals while since he has, you know, Brenner their you know, their issue is he has to adapt, right? He has to adapt to the league while if you have like a Zardes or Bradley Wright Phillips, uh, that are used to the league, it's going to help a lot more. And I, mm-hmm. I that's why I really like what uh, the crew have done, especially even bringing in like Molino, again, who's a very experienced with the league. Um, Zella Ryan, though, uh, you know, one of the best number 10s in MLS, uh, had a great year last year. What is it that makes him so special? And uh, do you see him even taking another step forward in 2021? I definitely can see him taking another step forward. You know, he's the most expensive player in in club history was signed uh, for about, I think $7 million in December of 2019 came in. The crew knew he was going to be an effective player and he he was all that and more, maybe the best performance we've ever seen in an MLS cup final back in December. And the thing that I think makes him really unique is his mixture of being able to create space for himself within those attacking positions, but also having some really good strength. And that's something that a lot of people don't see in central attacking midfielders as much. The guy is strong and he likes to win the ball back and he's great with his left and right foot deadly in set piece situations. And he is someone that really proved himself in 2020. And I think in 2021, the sky is the limit for him to continue this growth in major league soccer and his MLS cup MVP performance against Seattle will live in crew history forever. But the question is, is will, will he be able to build on that? And I definitely think that he can. And also I wanted to bring up, since I was thinking about it, as we're talking about BWP, you know, you also saw the crew bring in a veteran like Perry Kitchen, who's somebody that uh, played under Caleb Porter at right. Akron when they won a national championship in 2010, a guy that Caleb really, really likes and his mentality and the way that he plays. But also these veteran guys will add leadership in the locker room. And that's something you need with the younger players in the, on the team like Matan, Aiden Morris, Isaiah Parente, who was a homegrown player here, went to Wake Forest, just signed with the crew this season. So adding that to the locker room as well to keep things you know balanced in there, that's really important too. Yeah, I just want to see him win more trophies um, so he gets more tattoos. I want to see how many <laughs> tattoos he would get of the MLS yeah. Cup. And- <laughs> him, Artur, and Milton Valenzuela had a promise that if they win, they would get tattoos, and they got tattoos. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, I, I was. I was like, and he's he's massive anyway, so he's got a lot of space that he can put his uh, tattoos on. But, I mean, going back a little bit further in that midfield, Darlington, Nabby, and Artur, um, you know, what kind of roles you see them playing in 2021? Is that similar, you know, style? Is it, is it kind of bringing in some of these younger, like Matan? Can he, Matan fill back into those spots? Um, and then how influential uh, are they in the, the style of play for Caleb Porter? I would say that uh, 
outside of the fullbacks in terms of the way that the crew like to play, because really he likes to have that pocket. So the wingers are important in a lot of ways in regards to the fact that he likes to have a pocket winger making those inverted inside runs. And the, he likes to draw attack through the fullbacks. That's why Milton Valenzuela and Harrison Afoul are really important pieces in the team as well. In ter- but those two central midfield roles play an important role too, especially with Artur and Nagby. Artur, when he went came into the league young, now he's really evolved himself into a very good box-to-box midfielder being able to defend really well. I've seen him drop his back to be in line with Mensa and Josh Williams throughout last season to be sort of a third center back. And he's great defensively, but he's improved offensively as well. He scored a couple of goals, you know, before this season, he had scored one goal in MLS, which was in a MLS cup playoff game against New York city on Halloween. And I believe he scored, um, two or three goals this past season, including the Eastern conference final winner against new England in the Eastern conference final. So he will, I think we'll see our tour adapt more into his attacking uh, capabilities as well as just staying as the defensive stalwart. He is, he's also built himself up even more from a physical standpoint. He's a lot bigger and stronger than he was when he entered the league and Darlington Nagby, you know, every time I watch him play in person, I'm just amazed at his ball control. The guy never misses a pass. He's got like a 93% pass accuracy on average for the season. I've seen him have multiple games with not missing a pass and having 50 of them, but the guy is so good at balancing his body and creating space for himself when he's got even two people right on him, trying to get the ball and he can switch fields with no problem. He is so instrumental in Columbus building in transition, whether, you know, they're going for a counterattack or, you know, there's a mispass from the opposing team. So Nagby is really important, but in terms of the depth in that position now, Perry Kitchen is a great, you know, natural sort of central defensive midfielder that you can bring in there for Artur Nagby if you need just somebody to come back and defend. And then Aiden Morris, you know, he had a great performance in the MLS Cup final and he showed a lot of uh, grit and grind in that game. And he's a guy that loves to just run after the ball good player with good ball skills, but he's still young. He has a lot to learn. So he'll learn more under, you know, Kitchen and Nagby and Artur, but I can definitely see him getting game time and maybe Isaiah Parente too. There's a lot of games this season for opportunities for this squad. Uh, Moving to the defense here, uh, you know, the 2020 Columbus crew were the second best defense, uh, only giving up 21 goals right behind Philadelphia who allowed 20 Uh, What is it that made the back line so good last year? Um, And are there places that need to be improved before the season starts this year? I mean, the back line last year was really the hallmark of the team through the first, you know, half of the season. They had kept, I think, eight clean sheets in their first 10 games through last season. They didn't concede a goal in the group stage of MLS's back and you, you, they couldn't give up a goal at home. It was impossible essentially. And that's, Really, I would say due to the leadership of Jonathan Mensa, he had the best season he's ever had in MLS. He, he's, I saw him maybe make two, three mistakes throughout the course of the entire season for all of 2020. He just was a warrior back there. He was where he needed to be every single time, and he tackled guys with ease, no problem at all. And that season, we were supposed to see Vito Warmhor be the starting center back with him, but of course he battled through injuries through most of the year. He got hurt in the opening game against New York city when people could actually, you know, go about without a mask felt like a lifetime ago. And then he got injured again at MLS's back and he will probably be the starting center back with them. And Josh Williams had an unbelievable season with the crew. He had some huge performances there in the playoffs and had to step into that starting role 
for warm whore, but warm whore was brought in last season to sort of be that starter next to Jonathan Mensa. So, I mean, I think the only improvement you're looking at defensively is really just, uh, you know, the depth, ha- making sure you have guys behind Mensa and warm whore to come into those center back roles. I think you do with Josh Williams and Bubakeda. They still have Grant Lillard and we'll see maybe if he gets some game time this year, he's sort of that extra piece maybe that we could see in situations. And then from the fullback positions, Harrison Afoul and Milton Valenzuela, they're the starters in those spots. Waylon Francis signed on for another year, you know, a guy who's been in Columbus for so long now, but Milton Valenzuela is really coming into his own as a great left back in major league soccer. And I know a lot of people criticize Harrison Afoul and for some of the defensive mistakes that he makes, but crew players and crew managers talk so much about how the guy drinks from the fountain of youth. If you had a beep test with every Columbus crew player, I guarantee you Harrison Afoul would probably win. He can run all day long. He has a great spirit about him, great leadership too. And you're guaranteed at least two bicycle kick clearances with Harrison Afoul in your back line. But Marlon <laughs> Harrison is a good addition in that position too, just in case, you know, Afoul needs to have uh, some rest in that uh, right back role. So they added depth in defense and Eloy Room is a great leader in, in goal as well. And he's really becoming a, a top goaltender in MLS. And a lot of people were surprised at how low he finished in the goalkeeper voting for goalkeeper of the year in 2020. So uh, as far as Milton Valenzuela, um, 21, uh, young defender. A lot of people were impressed with him after I was reading through and watching some of it. What what are some of his next steps that he needs to take in his development? Hmm, I would say just to develop into even more of just like a good one-on-one defender his best game of the season to me was at the MLS cup final. He was all over anybody that ran at him, whether it was Morris or Ladero, you know, Bruin there when he came on in the second half as a super sub, he was able to just put them in his pocket. And if his one-on-one defending continues to improve because he's great at overlapping runs coming in to the attack and getting those crosses in from that left side, you know, he'll be an even better left back. The kid has a lot of room to grow. He was just with the Argentinian under 23 national team for a couple of friendly games. Maybe they select him for the Olympics this summer since Argentina will be there and the U S will not. (laughs) And and I think, yeah, if he just develops his skills more as a one-on-one defender, he's already pretty good at it. But if he continues that development, I think he'll be even better at that position. And crew fans are excited to see him come in 2019. He was injured for essentially the entire year. 2020, he was able to play most of the season and and he was impressive for sure. Uh, you mentioned Eloy Room uh, a bit too, but just the, uh, the you know, the goalkeeper going from Zach Steffen to Eloy Room, uh, you know, not missing really a beat uh, back there is such a huge uh you know, a huge part of it, I think, too. But uh, and as you said, he finished so low on the, the voting, maybe because uh, I feel like a lot of that stuff is name recognition. Right. Um, but what is yeah, it maybe. that he really uh, does uh, between the posts, you think, that uh, helps make him one of the best uh, keepers in the league? I mean, you see him communicate really well, but at the same time, he's capable of, you know, those fantastic, magnificent saves. And that's something that you need in a goalkeeper to pop out in the moments where you really need him to make a magnificent play. And remember the Columbus crew had both of the save of the year in MLS last year, which was a room making a double save against Orlando and had the goal of the year, which was Darlington Nagby strike against Chicago in the first game in Columbus uh, since March. That game was in August. Only the media was there. I was one of the few people that was able to see that goal in person. And it was a cracker. Let me tell you, but room is, you know, 
He's capable of coming up big for those magnificent saves. And also, I appreciate the fact that most of the time he doesn't do these sort of short passes to his defenders from goal kicks like we're seeing the rest of the world do now. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he kicks it out. <laughs> he kicks it out, which I appreciate. But they, they, he plays well from the back, too. He's a good passer of the ball as well. And his skills just continue to improve. You know, we saw him have a great Gold Cup two summers ago with Curacao. He played phenomenally for the international team. They're trying to get to the World Cup now, at least get to the octagonal. But for the Columbus crew, he's the clear number one keeper. And it's really good that they were able to have somebody step into that role that's very reliable like Room after seeing someone like Zach Steffen uh, go to Manchester City. Yeah, you mentioned the, uh, you know, the, the playing out the back or, you know, making those passes to your defenders and stuff. And that's something that uh, always frustrates me, you know, when you see these players win you know, they're, they're taught to make these passes and they just continue doing that even in situations where they just have to boot it out, you know, like there, there's gotta be, sometimes you read and have to just get rid of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I just think the mentality, cause you know, so much of football now, like you see is, you know, building out from the back, you're seeing mm-hmm. prem teams do it, international teams and forwards know how to counter that. Just press. Yep. Just literally mm-hmm. run at them if they're lazily passing yeah. around, not looking at what they're doing. And we've seen goalkeepers guilty of it. We're seeing center backs guilty of it. I can't tell you how many times during at least the Premier League season I've seen Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea, Manchester City, Tottenham. These teams pass around with their defenders lazily, just looking for the inch-perfect pass down the wing, and they lose the ball because all the forwards have to do is just run at the defenders and press them. And they're going to get an interception. We saw that in the U S Olympic game um, with the mistake there by mm-hmm. Ochoa and you can't have that. And the crew doesn't do that. A lot of, I would, I'll have to say most MLS teams don't do that because there's still that MLS or sort of American mentality of really booting the ball up for a goal kick. And I, and I'm fine with that because you know, you're there with a goal kick. It's a free, it's one of the few free times you have, you can kick a ball without somebody trying to intercept it or block it, try and get it up the field. You know, you might not win the header, but it's better than just having 15 passes between five players. And then eventually you have a full forward line of three and a midfield just pressing you and you can't do anything. What does that yield? Either you give up a goal, kick the ball out of bounds for a throw in, or you kick it out for an opponent's goal kick. You rarely see teams develop big, opportunities from those types of plays right that's the um that's the key there too like i I mentioned it on a i think an episode that we lost a recording of but i I did mention it before where you know when you uh you know you can't be scared to really like boot it up there like you said what's you you lose the header but hopefully the person in the midfield is going to help win you that ball back you know and, and not put all the pressure on your defenders and goalies who are not usually you know the best with the ball at their feet yeah so it's it's just interesting to see the game change the way it is i mean Mm -hmm. it's not just soccer i mean you're seeing it with a lot of sports sort of this uh change and doing the efficient thing rather than just doing it the way that you were taught maybe as a kid or just taking those types of risks because like you look at basketball take a three or get a shot in the paint nobody shoots from the mid-range anymore you look at baseball with you know, let's just get home run hitters and get pitchers that throw a hundred miles an hour. The whole, yeah. <laughs> let's have my starter throw four or five and then bring in my bullpen for the next five. And then you lose the Yankees did that. And I'm a Yankee fan, even though I'm from Ohio, I'm still bitter about losing. To the Rays. So, but I think that's, but I think that comes with the territory of what we're seeing in sports in general with statistics sort of 
making its way as a primary way to mm-hmm. scout players, to develop tactics as well. That's happening in soccer. I don't think it's happening as much in soccer as it is in like basketball and baseball, but I, I just think it's fascinating to see this, you know, this shift in the sport. And I think it also comes from the development of fullbacks really becoming very important pieces. Yeah. Every team. Now you have to be able to have a left back and a right back that can attack that can also defend and is like an all around player on the field. Well, Alfonso Davies, probably the best left back in the world. You can put him at striker. You can put him at center mid. You can put him at center back. He can play nearly every position. And he's so versatile because so many teams use those fullback uh, spots for attack. The crew does that. I mean, we saw Spain do it, Manchester city, all these teams do it. And it's, it's really fascinating to see that evolution and whether or not that continues to grow in the sport, or we start to see something different will be interesting to see over the next uh, really decade. Yeah. Um, it is interesting just because, you know, in uh, what one of the Barcelona matches or whatever, when people were giving Komen some some grief online for saying, uh, well, Serginio is not as good defensively. So, you know, use him to attack. And I'm like, but he's a right back, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, uh, but the fullbacks <laughs> attack now. That's that's the, yeah. that's the name of the game. You yeah. got to have those fullbacks attack. One thing I was wondering for you guys, who are you guys' favorite MLS teams? Uh, I am a Philadelphia Union supporter. Ah, okay. Right. In Orlando City. Orlando City. Okay, yeah. so we got we got the whole Eastern Conference yeah. spectrum <laughs> here. But hey, you know, Phil, Philly's a contender. Orlando, I would say, is also a contender. Yeah. Orlando had a great season last year. Philly was very impressive. Obviously, for you guys, at least for the Union, it's going to be interesting to see how you know not having McKenzie or Aronson affects the team. Yep. You guys still have some really good players, but. The Eastern Conference this year is going to be competitive. I, I would say the crew are probably the favorites, but Orlando and Philly is right there. And then if Sergio Aguero comes to Miami in July, who the hell knows? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, so I wanted to ask before we get to like the expectations for 2021, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Champions League is coming up here in uh, next week. Yep. Uh, what are the expectations, not in MLS, but for in the champions league for the crew. Uh, you know, I feel like with their squad, they should be one of our better options for winning. If there was to be an MLS winner, I wouldn't be surprised if it would be, you know, crew. Yeah. I mean, I think based on you look at the way that the roster is set up and also really, if you also look at the way that the draw is set up too, for American MLS teams, Columbus is the only American MLS team that has its own side of the bracket. If you look at it, because if Philly beats Saprissa and Atlanta United beats Alahuense, then Atlanta is going to play Philly in the quarterfinals. And then if Portland beats maybe Club America or CD Olympia in the quarterfinals and gets to the semis, then they would potentially play Philly or Atlanta. So Columbus, on the other hand, their path is if they beat Real Esteli, which the expectation is, is that they will beat Real Esteli. Esteli was not one of the strongest teams uh, in pot two. the crew were able to get them. They're going to go to Managua, Nicaragua uh, in a week to play them in the away leg. And if they're able to get a good start there with at least maybe two, three goals, then I think the home leg will be, you know, smooth sailing, but then they're probably going to play Monterey in the quarterfinals. And then in the semis Cruz Azul are probably Toronto FC, but Toronto FC is playing club Leon in their round of 16 ties. So that's not going to be a walk in the park for TFC. So in terms of the way the draw is set up, yeah, you can look at Columbus and say, they're probably a good opportunity for an American team to win this competition for the first time. But in terms of also just the depth of their roster, you can see that too. And you're going to have the round of 16 in the quarterfinals really condensed here in the next month, essentially. And the quarterfinals will be, I think, the real test. But Columbus is going in with the mentality 
this is a competition we want to win. You know, they, they have to keep that mentality. And that's something that this club is trying to, you know, imbue in the culture, winning and imbuing, looking towards the future and continuing success throughout. A lot of people were saying how the crew won MLS Cup a year earlier than expected. The team doesn't think that. Caleb Porter, Tim Bezbachenko, everybody who was in that locker room, they knew that they had the, the group of guys that could win MLS Cup. They did it. Now they have that group and more, so the expectation is going to be to win again. But Caleb Porter and the rest of them, they need to fight through you know failure. You, you can't succeed without knowing what failure is. And last season, the, to me, one of the most wild stats is that the crew only won games in two cities, Columbus and Orlando at MLS is back. And road points is important. They need to get road points this season. And starting off early with six out of 10 road games, including those road games and uh, CCL, they're going to need to get those victories early. That will set the tone for this team going into when they move into the downtown stadium and develop a new home field advantage in that new uh, home in Columbus. So CCL will be exciting. And then we'll see if they make U.S. Open Cup, which I'm curious mm -hmm. what you guys think about the way that they decided how the teams are going to qualify for the U S open cup. I thought it was a little silly, honestly. Yeah. I was about to ask you about that. Cause you were just saying about the away games for the crew. Then do you think it's, do you think they are set up to qualify? Cause for people that don't know it, the, the qualification is what the first three matches. Yeah. Uh, the top eight. So yeah. So it'll be the Point top eight. Game. Yeah. So it'll be the top eight MLS teams through May 3rd make it to the U.S. Open Cup, which starts in late May. Since they're skipping the opening round because of COVID, mm -hmm. there's only going to be 16 teams in the tournament. Top eight, average points through through May 3rd, make it to uh, U.S. Open Cup. Crew only have two games till May 3rd. They play Philly oh, wow. in Columbus, <laughs> and they play at Florida against Club de Foot Montreal, and yeah. that's it. But that's why they have to do average points because also RSL is not playing opening weekend. They're the only team that's right, not going right, to play. Right, because they're on number of teams. Mm -hmm. Right, so you're going to have teams that have played two. You're going to have teams that have played three. But I don't know. I just think it's a really random method to determine the teams to get into that competition. And in general, it's nice that we have sort of a 50-50 between the MLS and the lower levels of American soccer. So, But at the same time, I'm sure plenty of fans are going to see this U.S. Open Cup and be like, eh, you know, was it really a U.S. Open Cup? But hey, they all count the same. People are saying asterisks next to all these different sporting seasons because yeah. of COVID, but there's no asterisks next to the cruise title. No asterisks next to everybody else. It's still a trophy. But right. we'll see. If they can get four points, at least four points in those first two games, probably beating Montreal and then drawing or beating or losing to Philly. I don't know, but four points, I think gets you to the U S open cup. But again, I I'd have to look at the full schedule to kind of mm -hmm. see, cause maybe, I don't know, maybe Austin or LAFC have a really easy, you know, first two or three games and maybe they get to U S open cup. So it'll be interesting to see for sure. I yeah. I, I guess, sorry, Lloyd, I was just going to say, I, I guess the reason they went this way is because, there's not a lot of time to qualify otherwise. And I guess they don't want to go off of last year's results because people didn't know that that would qualify them. I'm not really sure what their thoughts were. Logan, did you have something about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's no, it's so tough because there's no perfect way to do it. I don't think because of all this stuff that happened, but uh, you know, I, I think too, it, the schedule makers are just getting the absolute heat now and they had no, I mean, they might've, but the, you know, trying to figure out, Hey, I, I like you said, Austin, plays three away games, obviously, because they don't have a stadium to really play in. So they're playing three away games or you've got guys that are playing, you know, they're, they're getting scheduled Houston uh, or they're getting the Texas swing to where they're getting an easier schedule or whatever it might be. Um, I, I don't know. I, it's 
I don't like it. I, I think honestly, I, I kind of like the idea of uh, there were some people that were throwing out the idea of just taking the top eight from last year and doing it that yeah. way. Plus just, you know, the inconsistencies as well as the way that MLS or CONCACAF decides itself. Like the biggest thing, look at CCL for this year, Atlanta gets in as the 2019 U S open cup winners <laughs> to me. Why not give that spot to Seattle? They got to the final, they lost to the crew. have them make play in the tournament, but I, I, it, it's very random. CONCACAF and MLS are very random in this type of stuff. And at the same time, this is unprecedented times and people are confused about what to do. So this is the way it is. This is the way it is. But, you know, we'll see if crew makes U.S. Open Cup, which eight teams end up in U.S. Open Cup. I'd be very curious to see if it turns out to be the top favorites in MLS. Like we see, you know, Columbus, LAFC, you know, Philly, you know, maybe Atlanta, Toronto get in there or because of, you know, the randomness of MLS and the starts of season, you see like San Jose and Dallas yeah. and Houston and may, maybe Austin has an amazing run to start the season and they make U.S. Open Cup. Maybe since he's there. So because, you know, this league is very random. And Caleb Porter pointed out it's been a decade since a team has defended an MLS Cup. The Galaxy did it well, 2011, 2012, I believe. It's only happened three times in the history of MLS. So it's really hard to go back to back in this league and the crew have a challenge there and we'll see if us open cup hinders that if it doesn't hinder that, depending on how they qualify for any team that's an MLS potentially getting into that competition. So uh, transitioning there, uh, you just mentioned how no team since the LA galaxy have went back to back. What are the, what would be a successful season for the crew uh, in 2021? Is it, you know, because defending your title is going to be tough uh, if you're the crew. Is it just, you know, making a run to the final? Is it just, you know, being like a supporter shield? What, what is the, uh, what makes it successful for the crew this year? Um, the players and Caleb Porter and everybody else in the club will tell you a successful season is winning it all. You have to set that mm -hmm. bar high. They set that bar high last year and it helped the team get to where they are. And, you know, the fact that they were able to fight through all these COVID infections in the last three playoff games and still be champions is still something that people can't believe to this day yeah. within, the crew, within the crew community. Cause you know, you lost Nagby and Santos against Seattle and they still won three, nothing. And it, it was a huge yep. victory for them. And, you know, Caleb Porter set that bar high and Tim Bezbachenko and, you know, Dr. Pete Edwards, the, the Haslam, Steve Lyons, all these people within the club, you set that bar high. It's about winning. And, the players and, and Caleb Porter will tell you that, you know, the expectation is to win MLS Cup again and maybe come away with another trophy, at least Campeones Cup, potentially. It depends on which team they play from Mexico in September here in Columbus. But from my perspective as a, as a reporter, as a journalist covering the team, to me, the expectation at the very least is to get to probably the conference finals because of how hard it is to defend the league. If you're looking at the challenges for the crew in the East, because you know, Columbus maximum would play three Western conference teams for the course mm -hmm. of 2021, because they're only going to play Seattle and Austin in the regular season. And if they made MLS cup, there's your third Western conference opponent. So you're playing the East the whole season. So they'll have that barometer to see which teams are going to give them trouble and which teams have improved or, you know, went down over the course of 2020 to 2021. So if you're looking at the Eastern conference, the challenges you're probably seeing are, I would say Toronto, 
I'd look at the Red Bulls. I'd look at Philly, Orlando. We'll see how Atlanta does with Joseph Martinez back. And then you could have Miami make a run as well. Now you have a full season with Higuain and Matuidi and maybe, and Kieran Gibbs in that squad as well. Maybe Miami comes through. We don't know. We'll see what Nashville can do after they had a great inaugural season in the league. Nashville played a tough match against Columbus in the playoffs. Walker Zimmerman had a phenomenal season in Nashville had a lot of breakout stars. So we'll see how competitive they're going to be. But based on squad depth, the roster this team has, I'll mention New York City FC2 as a contender as well within the East. The expectation at the very least in my eyes should be get to the conference final. If you lose the conference final, it's one game, you know, can't take that away. It would still be a great season in my eyes, but if they can defend the championship, then Columbus has really set the tone that they are among the contenders in this league and can be considered with the likes of Toronto and Seattle of being a team that's going to be there every year, even if they get to the conference finals again. That's what this team wants to do. They got to be there every single year, competing for the playoffs, competing to get into Champions League, competing in U.S. Open Cup. And that's that's what they started in 2020. They want to continue that through this whole decade. Yeah, so before we get into just plugging stuff, we talked about this on pre-show, and we wanted to get your thoughts on it because we were recording an episode. Um Coming up that that we're talking uh, U.S. men's team, um, U.S. youth national and Olympic qualifying. I just wanted to ask on what are your thoughts on it? Failure, complete failure, uh, disgrace. Uh, what were some of your thoughts that kind of ran through your head as you're watching uh, the United States once again fail to qualify? Yeah, not disgrace. I think that's too strong of a word <laughs> in this in this context and in a lot of contexts, but. I mean, I would say it's a failure. You know, the roster that they brought to Guadalajara, I think, was good enough to beat Honduras and get to the Olympics for the first time since 2008. But one game is one game, and they didn't play well enough. But you have to have guys that are ready to be able to do the simple things day in and day out and perform at those in those big situations. And the fact that, you know, Jason, Jason Christ said, you know, we've got guys that are miscontrolling the ball. We have guys that, you know, aren't have, they're kicking the ball out of bounds and that's normal in professional soccer in this country. That's, that's not a good sign to have. And the fact that he said that is just something, not the fact that he said, it. I have no problem with him saying it, speak your mind and whatnot. But the fact that it, it's something that came into his psyche is just, you know, kind of shocking to me that that's where us soccer is still at to this day. And yes, there's a huge talent pool in this country. I don't think I've seen the U S team this talented since maybe 2002 or, you know, 2006, but it is a failure, but at the same time, they didn't have their best squad there and they couldn't get their best squad there because of the way that the FIFA rules work and these big European clubs probably not wanting to give up players that are giving them significant minutes early on for a youth event. So you had to have the squad at, at the disposal. But I think the team that they brought was good enough to make the Olympics. But now it's about moving past that. We'll see what happens in Tokyo. You know, I would say the favorites going into the Olympics, you're probably looking at Argentina, Brazil, maybe Mexico. I think Germany is going to be a contender as well. Spain looks really, really good too. But now it's just about moving forward for the World Cup. Got to qualify for the World Cup. At least qualify for the World Cup. I know there's a lot of people seeing the talent that we have saying we're going to win it all in 2026 yeah. when it's co-hosted <laughs> in this continent. But one step at a time. Qualify first. CONCACAF is not a walk in the park anymore. Mexico yep. has a lot of really talented players. Canada has a freaking team of the year caliber left back and Alfonso Davies, who is the first North American player to be included among the best 11 
in the world of in the world for the world's most popular sport. Jamaica's got a lot of talent. They just got Mikel Antonio from West Ham to commit to their national team. Costa Rica and Honduras are still pretty good. So CONCACAF is not a walk in the park like it used to be maybe in the mid 2000s or the early 2010s. This is a this is a this is a this is an area of the world that's improving in in the sport and you're seeing that with Mexico getting better, Canada getting better, Jamaica getting better, Curaçao even getting better and qualify for the World Cup first and then we can talk about 2026 and maybe winning it all but you one step at a time. The no Olympics though is a failure. It's a shame that they're not going to be there. You got to make these tournaments. Uh, thanks, Ori. Uh, did you want to go ahead and plug uh, your 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 stuff one more time? Sure. Yeah. So if you want to see my stuff, ramblings about the crew and soccer and all kinds of different stuff at Obenatar five one two on Twitter, and then of course. If you want to follow uh, it's the best crew coverage around, got to plug the Massive Report, of course. We've got <laughs> MassiveReport.com for our stories. Uh, the Massive Report podcast, which are starting back up here uh, tomorrow, in fact, at the time of this recording. Tomorrow I'll be recording our first Massive Report podcast for the new season. And then, of course, our Instagram account where uh, I'm doing graphic design there. So a lot of stuff that we're doing, and we're ready for an exciting 2021 season. A lot of competitions, a lot of games. Looking forward to it. April 8th against Real Esteli in Managua. First game. That was Ori Benatar from Massive Report. Uh, Logan, what was your thoughts here on the crew? You know, these are the MLS Cup champions, and they've added even more attacking options. Uh, what's your thoughts from the uh, interview with Ori? Yeah, so, I mean, it just uh... – listening to what he was saying about and again you and I talked about this that depth was going to be the story of of 2021 just because of all these international competitions it did get lighter um, for the U.S. men's side of it so that's quite a bit of uh, MLS players Um, but uh, you know looking at their depth looking at the you know the east is getting better but I do think that there is just an issue with depth when it when you're talking about some of these eastern MLS teams Um, and you know they've got Kevin Molina who might not even crack a starting 11 sometimes. <laughs> um, Bradley Wright Phillips, not cracking 11 sometimes. Uh, and then I think that he's right that that Matan that they added from these 21 or something, he looked really good in the game that he played. I think he, I forget it's Croatia maybe. Um, but again, he, the, the, this team is just so deep and so experienced. And then when they're not experienced, They've got young, exciting players like ETN and, and guys like that. And it's just um, it's a scary thought. I, when I when I when we talk to teams like this um, and we haven't done it often, it, it, you look at this roster and go, man, I'm really jealous of some of these teams that just have um, a surplus of talent. And they are definitely one of those teams um, that just seem like they can hit you from every single direction, whether it's defensively in the midfield. Uh, our tours, you know, a really good midfielder. Uh, along with um, uh, Darlington Nagby. Um, it, it's just, you know, they got so many top five players at different positions that it's really difficult just to, I mean, I could go on and on about this, but but the biggest takeaway is uh, is just their depth. It's a scary, scary sight for the rest of the East. Yeah, I... Look, it's MLS. Anything happens... They, uh, I, I just can't see a world where the crew are not the best team in the East. Uh, now they may not finish first in the East, but I think 
overall when you're looking at you know their depth and you know when they actually start playing games i think uh, they're going to be the best um again that may not mean that they finish first though because there is you know different schedules and such but i think that this is the team that i could see easily representing the eastern conference and mls cup now obviously that doesn't always work that way so so you know i could be totally wrong but I look, like you said, you look at this team and, and I mentioned it with Ori and stuff is, is, Hey, why weren't some of the, and, and look, some of these teams may have been, but why weren't some of these teams trying to get Kevin Molino and BWP? And now of course they may have chose the crew because of that, but like, look, the union could use Bradley Wright Phillips. The union could use Kevin Molino. Uh, there's teams that could be using them. Now, obviously they may not have chose them because of, those other teams maybe not being as good and they see an opportunity with the crew but it seemed like it was you know it just this strong of a team getting even stronger is is crazy uh when you have other clubs that could have signed some of these guys yeah i don't i don't get it i like like you said i mean philly really <laughs> they were just kind of like you know what we'll go with our youth plan and that that'll work right um and now, I mean, Santos and Casper are, you know, ailing some some injuries and some nagging issues, and they might not be completely fit for the first match in CCL. Whereas Crew go, okay, well, we can we can take a number of options, um, and we've got goal scorers. And like he said, it, you know, uh, BWP could just step right in, and and you just don't really miss a whole lot for a match or two, um, which is which is scary. But you're right. How how do all these teams? especially teams like uh, Cincinnati that went out and spent a ton. Yeah. I know they brought in a couple of players, but they, you know, they really struggled to score. How was Kevin Molino not really factored into this? How was, you know, and if they're going to spend that much money, might as well go nuts anyway. Um, it, how, how are players that they can sign without using some of these DP spots or international spot or anything really, and, and just get them on the cheap and get them in a position where they're adding depth. Um, again, it, it's just, like you said, it's a crazy league, um, and and being my first real year of, of really following it um, and covering it, it's it just you know it, it's hard to pick them again because like Ori pointed to, I think it's been like a decade since uh, a team's repeated, and it was I think the Sounders. He said um, an MLS Cup, and with all uh, these the cups, last team to repeat, or sorry, LA it was, it was LA. LA, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I I just. I don't see where this team is even in some of these, like you've got tiers and I think Columbus is in its tier by itself. And the only team that I, you know, I think can compete depth wise and maybe talent wise, maybe an LAFC, you know, maybe a Portland, um, Seattle. I don't know if they're quite up there to, to challenge them in a final, um, but again, they're, they're, this Columbus Jr. This crew, as long as they're healthy, is just gonna um, go absolutely ham on, on some of these Eastern Conference teams. I think. All right, let's uh, let's wrap it up. If you want to contact us and give us your thoughts on the crew. Uh, Twitter at Stateside Show, along with Instagram at Stateside Show, Facebook.com slash Stateside Show, email Stateside Show at gmail.com. 
Uh, we're also on Twitch now. It's <laughs> stateside show. Um, so uh, I added the YouTube to the link tree. So that should be on there now as well. Uh, Cause we're going to start doing some video content at some point. Uh, probably closer to when the season actually starts just cause you know, giving some of these guests on video and, you know, some of them don't want to be on video or, you know, it, then you don't want to have one episode out of 27 <laughs> that had uh, yeah. video, you know, so it's kind of like we want to start, start fresh with that. Um, but yeah, so that, uh, that wraps us all up here. Make sure you reach out to us and uh, have a great rest of your week. Who do we got coming up next, Logan? Yeah, so we're going to be recording uh, the New York Red Bulls, um, and that is going to be coming up. And it will drop on Wednesday, or sorry, Friday, Friday of this week. Yeah, days kind of combined. Um, yeah, Friday of this week, and we're talking to Joe Goldstein, um, and he covers uh, the team over at uh, the Sing Red podcast, and he also does a youth podcast where he covers uh, Red Bulls tool uh, too. Um, but yeah, looking forward to that. And then we got NYC FC coming up next week. Um, and we'll give you a little bit more details as that comes out. And then um, we have uh, a, a Club de Foot Montreal um, lined up for next week. And, and it looks like we've gotten all the way through these Eastern teams, Jordan, with as long as we have everything go smoothly uh, with a couple of these other guests that have reached out to. Um, but yeah, we're almost done. We're almost there. Finish lines in sight. All right. Help us cross that finish line by uh, giving us a listen and uh, make, make sure you're following us on all the platforms I already said, and we will catch you all next time. Tomorrow throwing his body in. It's going to fall for Ibrahimovic. Oh, come on. Come on. Thank you for listening to Stoppage Time Soccer Show. We hope that you continue to listen to our show as we recap the U.S. Men's National Team, Americans Abroad, MLS, USL. This is Stateside Soccer Show presented by Stop It's Time Soccer Show. Have a good one.